You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grasso from Bloomberg Radio. In the movie My Cousin Vinny, an incredulous judge questions a lawyer who's wearing a leather jacket and no tie in his courtroom. When you come into my court looking like you do, you not only insult me, but you insult the integrity of this court. I apologize, sir, but uh, this is how I dress. Next time you come into my courtroom, you will look loyally. And I mean, you comb your hair and wear a suit and tie. And that suit better be made out of some kind of cloth. You understand me? Well, this month, a federal judge in New York wanted to make sure that lawyers were properly dressed for court and issued a similar instruction in a written order. Judge Robert Drain had decided to go where no other judge has gone before and conduct an entire trial by video. It took place in U.S. Bankruptcy Court in the Southern District of New York. Well, that's where the judge's courtroom is, but the lawyers and witnesses were elsewhere. Joining me is intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, a partner at Catton Rosenman. He represented the plaintiff in this case between two competing cable companies. So, Terry, what was an intellectual property lawyer doing in bankruptcy court? Well, June, the bankruptcy court actually has jurisdiction over most controversies that arise involving a company that's in reorganization, even if it's not a traditional bankruptcy area of law. So in this particular case, there was a charge of false advertising under the Lanham Act made by my client who was in Chapter 11 reorganization. And that complaint was brought in the bankruptcy court as what is known as an adversary proceeding. And once filed, it proceeded in the bankruptcy court as if it were any other false advertising case in a federal district court. Was there an urgency about this? Why did a bankruptcy court decide to become a trailblazer? So one of the fundamental principles in bankruptcy court is you want to move the debtor through the process as quickly as possible and get them back out the other side of bankruptcy and operating as a regular company. This way, creditors get paid quickly, employees are not put out of work, and normal operations of the company continue. And so in bankruptcy court, there is a premium on speed and efficiency in moving cases and proceedings from start to finish. And so although there was a slight delay here due to the COVID-19 pandemic, trial was postponed approximately 30 days, the bankruptcy court 
did not want an extended postponement of the trial because of this overarching principle that you see in bankruptcy proceedings that let's move these proceedings through the process as quickly as possible, get the creditors paid, and get the company back out on the other side of bankruptcy. Judges across the country have been holding not trials, but conferences, motions, and the like by video. And there have been reports of everything from barking dogs to lawyers appearing shirtless. Did Judge Drain set out any parameters to make sure that didn't happen in his virtual courtroom? Yes, the judge did, and it was probably one of the most useful things that happened in the lead-up to the video trial. The court issued a long and very carefully thought-out trial order, which included a provision stating and reminding the lawyers that they were in a formal courtroom setting, notwithstanding that they were all at distant locations, that the judge himself would be conducting this from the courtroom, from his bench, and that he expected the lawyers to comport themselves in a manner consistent with a courtroom appearance with respect to attire and making sure that they were in an environment, although distant from the courthouse, that was as close to a courtroom-like proceeding as possible. And by that, the court essentially meant no barking dogs, no kids interrupting, Find yourself a quiet place where you had good Wi-Fi, good connectivity, so that this proceeding could be conducted with all the formalities of any other trial. We're all getting used to Zoom now. Was it done by Zoom? No, unfortunately, it was not. The parties actually jointly suggested to the court that WebEx be used, in particular because the facility with which you can share documents on the WebEx platform. However, the court's IT employees wanted to use Skype for business, apparently to the licensing reasons. The IT department in both sides, law firms, were completely unfamiliar with Skype for business when they started looking into it, realized it was a video platform that Microsoft is actually trying to phase out. It has significant limitations with respect to the number of persons who can participate via video link. And as the number grows up, the platform gets very glitchy. And so this was a real challenge that the court was insisting upon using Skype for business. Coming up next on Bloomberg Law, why it's hard to get that aha moment when cross-examining a witness by video. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash Enterprise Data to learn more. It's a cross-examination that every movie fan and lawyer remembers. Tom Cruise cross-examining Jack Nicholson up close and personal in A Few Good Men. You doctored the logbook. Hey, Over, consider no, yourself in contempt. You. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! But would there have been such a gotcha moment if the cross-examination had taken place on video with the lawyer and witness in different rooms? I've been talking to intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, who represented the plaintiff in the first video trial in a federal court. So, Terry, before we get to the cross-examinations, what are some of the other technical problems that you faced? So, June, one of the core principles of the U.S. court system is that the courts are open to the public to observe, so that the public has a right to see what is going on in their courthouses, even if they're not involved in the particular proceeding. And so we had to set up the platform in such a way that any member of the public could at least listen in. And indeed, there was press interest in this trial and press coverage. And so the limitations on the number of participants that we were faced with using Skype for Business, we had to use an audio platform in addition to Skype for Business, an audio platform commonly used by federal courts called Court Solutions. That's the vendor's name. And we set it up in such a way that the video transmission was coming through over Skype for business, but the audio transmission was coming through on the court solutions platform, which had an unlimited capacity for participants. And so any member of the public could dial in on a muted line and hear the proceedings. And that way you preserve this very important public openness of all trials. Now, that also led to some issues syncing up the video and the sound because they were coming over two different platforms. But the IT guys at Southern District of New York Courthouse in White Plains did a phenomenal job resolving that. Although it was a complex setup using the different video and audio streams, it worked out superbly. What about the challenge of cross-examining a witness when you're not in the same room? That must have a different feel to it than what you're used to. Yes, witness examination 
had a completely different feel and the court recognized the challenges this posed at the outset. And because bankruptcy courts, I guess all federal courts nowadays, are faced with challenges in allocating their time, it was decided from the outset that direct testimony of witnesses would be submitted in advance by a declaration. And so that only cross-examination and redirect examination would be conducted at the video trial. Even with that, there is this enormous disjunction between examining a witness through a video link and the lag time that sometimes occurs and a real live interaction in court. Now, granted, this was a bench trial. And so I think the judge was capable of understanding this challenge and dealing with it, not allowing themselves to be influenced by it as the fact finder. I think it would be extraordinarily hard for a jury to deal with this sort of video examination and the setting that's involved. And that's why I think we probably won't be seeing jury trials by video anytime soon. Even as we talk now, you know, we talk over each other sometimes because we're not in the same room. And is the rhythm of your cross-examination affected by a delayed objection or a delayed response? The most significant challenge on cross-examination was the fact that you could not pull out some document for impeachment and show it to the witness and say, aha, doesn't this disprove what you just swore to under oath? Instead, in this circumstance where there was no ability to share documents in a spontaneous manner with the witness, we had to submit impeachment documents to the witness who was in a distant location under seal in advance, and then at trial, have them unseal, open up that package and say, turn to impeachment document number 13, and then go through that whole routine. And sort of the, the aha moment is lost in that process. And so it does drain a certain amount of the drama out of the trial. But again, this was a bench trial to a judge, and those sorts of courtroom theatrics tend not to be particularly meaningful in a bench trial anyway. But that was definitely a challenge on cross-examination. It seems like there are many reasons why it would be difficult, if not impossible, to have a jury trial by video. June, I've tried over 50 jury trials, and the reality of a jury trial is that in a commercial case such as this, is that for more than a couple of days, the juries are severely taxed in following what is going on, remaining interested. Had a case, a trade secret case down in federal district court in Richmond, Virginia, a couple of years ago, in which one member of the jury so persistently fell asleep that the court had to finally excuse him. And thankfully, we had a standby juror to take that person's place. It is challenging to keep a jury's interest in a live setting with live witnesses and the courtroom theatrics in a video trial, it would be virtually impossible in your run-of-the-mill commercial case to conduct a jury trial. The jurors would quickly lose attention to what was going on, lose the threat of the case. If not, be in a situation similar to many of us with dogs interrupting them and kids crying in the background and the mail being delivered, it would simply not be workable in a jury trial situation. Well, let me ask you this. Were there any advantages at all 
to having a video trial? The principal advantage is the speed and efficiency with which the trial is conducted. You are not sitting around, as many of my colleagues are, waiting to get onto an already crowded docket that has been backed up further by the COVID-19 situation. And that's a major advantage for uh, a plaintiff in commercial litigation. Justice delayed is justice denied is very true to this day. And so the principal advantage of a video trial is the speed and efficiency with which it gets done. Now, there's certainly a lot of drawbacks. We've talked about some of them. A lot of challenges for the lawyers. In particular, I'm used to having a sharp young attorney behind me who knows where all the exhibits are, knows every document by memory, and could simply turn around and get a yellow stickum from them telling me which document <laughs> to, to call up next. And I would frequently turn this trial turn around, and of course, there's nobody <laughs> there to hand me that yellow stickum. Um, and so, those are the challenges we face. But again, the the ability to get on the court's docket, get the case heard quickly is just a major advantage in, for plaintiffs in commercial litigation. So, Terry, what advice would you give to another lawyer who has to try a case by video? So there are two must-dos going into any video trial. The first is you really have to have the court set out the rules of the game in a carefully thought-out pretrial order. We did one here and offered it up to the court. The court quickly adopted it. It lays out a number of things that we had thought through very carefully in advance, such as this question of impeachment documents. How do you use impeachment documents? But it's a whole host of things. You have to have a very specific, detailed pretrial order on how to conduct the video trial issued by the court in which every element is thought through. And there have now been enough of these video trials going on that you can probably borrow what we did in this case or what others are doing in other video trials. The second piece of advice I would give to anyone going into video trial is you absolutely have to do a dress rehearsal with all parties, all witnesses, and the court. And we did this. We started on a Monday. We did this dress rehearsal on a Thursday before the start of the trial. And as part of this order, pretrial order I was just mentioning, there was a requirement that everyone participate in the dress rehearsal. And we did, in fact, experience during the dress rehearsal many technical glitches that we were able to resolve over a several-hour period. And therefore, when the trial actually started on a Monday morning, we had no technical glitches whatsoever. Indeed, throughout the course of the four-day trial, um, really did not experience any technical glitches. At one point, opposing counsel accidentally muted themselves but that was not a technical glitch. It was simply an accident on the part of an attorney, and it was quickly resolved. So a dress rehearsal is absolutely critical with everyone, every witness, the court, the IT people all involved. So, Terry, what was the verdict? So as often happens in bench trials, the court has asked for post-trial briefing that ties together the evidence actually admitted with the legal theories and that brief won't even be uh, due until June, so we might not get a verdict till midsummer. Well, thanks so much for sharing your video trial experience with us. That's intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, a partner at Catton Rosenman. And that's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. Just go to iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. I'm June Grosso. Thanks so much for listening. 
And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show weeknights at 10 p.m. Eastern right here on Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.